Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When Edgar Degas visits his French Creole relatives in New Orleans in the 1870s, Estelle, his cousin and sister-in-law, encourages him to paint portraits of their family members. Estelle gazed at him and asked slowly, Let me be sure I understand. Are you saying that you plan to give up painting? I've considered it. Anyway, I had no thoughts of painting here. I intend to visit New Orleans and the family, nothing more. Estelle took a deep breath. Well, it wouldn't hurt you to do a few domestic scenes while you're here, and it would please all of us, she said. A hundred years later, in 1970, Anne Gautier, a young artist, finds connections between her ancestors and Degas while renovating the New Orleans house she's inherited. When Anne finds two identical portraits of Estelle, she discovers disturbing truths that change her life as she searches for meaningful artistic expression, just as Degas did a century earlier. I'm Rob Weinberg, and in this edition of Historical Fiction, I talked to Linda Stewart-Henley, the author of Estelle, a gripping historical novel told by two women living a hundred years apart. This is Historical Fiction. So, Linda, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me, Rob. Many people know about Degas, who's best known for his pastel drawings and oil paintings of ballerinas, but many won't know that he went to stay with French Creole relatives in New Orleans in the 1870s. How did you come across this little-known part of Degas' life? It really was a bit of serendipity. I was writing another story, a different story, about New Orleans set there, and I wanted to know more about the city, even though I had been there before. So I got a travel guide. And I was really surprised to find in the travel guide that Degas had lived there and that his house, the house that his family owned and that he stayed in, was still there. So that started my interest. Now, this is a period before Degas' career as a painter has taken off. His family are hoping he'll join their business in cotton and textiles. When you were doing your research, was that something that you found that his family felt strongly about? Well, no. I have absolutely no idea that they had any intention of getting him to join the business. I just made that up. But I do know that he really had no interest in cotton and said so. He wrote letters back to friends in Paris saying that he hated all the conversation about cotton and he talked about living in a climate of cotton there. He also didn't really like the light. There were lots of things he didn't like about the place, but I think he really didn't have any interest in the business. His career isn't quite established yet as a painter at the time of your story. What was he doing with his life? He was a painter. He definitely was trying to be a painter. 
But he was going through a period, apparently, and this is quite well documented, a period of insecurity about it. He had other friends who were more successful than he was, other painters like Edouard Manet, for example. They were selling their work. And also, because it was the start, really, of the Impressionist period, even though he didn't like to consider himself as an Impressionist, those painters mostly painted outdoors, which he didn't do. So he was wondering about his success when he was not really quite in sync with his colleagues. That's interesting because we know that Degas was not an outdoor painter, as you say, but in the book you speculate that there might have been a reason for this. Can you tell me a bit more about that? I didn't really speculate. That's not at all something that I did because it was well documented that he had problems with his eyes. He was being treated for a condition called ophthalmia in Paris before he went to New Orleans. And in fact, he'd wanted to join the National Guard so he could be a sniper uh, and fight in the Franco-Prussian War. And he was denied that opportunity because of his poor eyesight. So he definitely had problems throughout his life with his vision. So that's not speculation. That was one reason why he didn't paint outside, because the light bothered his eyes. It comes as quite a surprise that he had this French Creole family in New Orleans. What was their family connection with him? Well, it really was a strong connection, and it is surprising. His mother was born in New Orleans. She was a French Creole. And so she had actually lived there and then moved to Paris with her husband. They moved to Paris for a while. That's where Degas was born. His mother never returned, but her brother, Michel, did return and started the cotton business in New Orleans. So that was the connection. Now, you create quite a vivid picture of New Orleans in the 1870s. Can we hear a little bit of your book in which you describe New Orleans? This passage in the book occurs near the beginning, just after Degas has arrived in New Orleans and has been met by his family. And they're all riding to the family's home in the carriage. Degas is with his cousin, Desiree, and his brother, Achille. This is Desiree speaking. Edgar, this is the Vieux Carré, the French Quarter. Look at the rows of houses built by the Spanish and the lacy ironwork balconies. Beautiful, yes? If you look into the courtyards, you can admire the fountains surrounded by orange and banana trees. Edgar nodded and smiled. So exotic. This house should have special meaning for you, Desiree said, pointing to a large two-story structure with an archway over a gated courtyard. This is where your mother's family lived before they all moved to Paris. A piece of my past. Could we stop the carriage for a minute? Edgar asked, his eyes shining. Akil tapped the driver on the shoulder, who brought the carriage to a halt. Edgar alighted and stood for a few minutes, seeming to absorb every detail of the house, then peeked through the wrought iron gates to gain a better view of the courtyard. He returned to his seat, wearing a thoughtful expression. He exchanged glances with Desiree, his eyes moist. I am thrilled to visit this lovely home. I wonder how Maman felt when she went to Paris, never to return, he said. Achille answered, I wondered about that too. I was nine when she died and never asked her about New Orleans, but you were older. 
Did she speak to you about her birthplace, Edgar? I was 13 when she passed away. I only remember that she missed this place and her brother, Uncle Michel. He moved back to New Orleans to establish the cotton business, and she married our father and stayed in France. She spoke often of the warm nights here and how cold Paris was. I know she longed for the masked balls and lively Creole society. The horse, pulling their carriage, clip-clopped slowly through the streets and turned onto Esplanade Avenue. There, the houses became individual grand dwellings. Carvings of classical figures and flowers adorned their facades and long verandas stretched over front porches. A double row of live oaks, palm trees, and magnolias in the neutral ground in the middle of the street flung mottled shadows onto the grass, and a streetcar rumbled its way between the columns of tall trees. Most impressive, Edgar said. This is our neighborhood, where all the best French Creole families live, Desiree replied. Thank you. How did you go about researching the New Orleans history part of the book? Well, I really felt fortunate. That also was almost serendipity. Once I started going to places to find books, I actually went to the local library first when I knew I was going to write about de Gaulle and checked out every book they had on de Gaulle. It's a fairly small library, and almost all the books they had were in the children's section, and they were picture books of the ballerinas. So that wasn't helpful, because this isn't the time that Degas was really painting ballerinas. So I, I looked online and ordered all kinds of books, and this amazing discovery was the catalogue that was produced by the New Orleans Museum of Art to accompany their exhibit of Degas' works that were done in New Orleans in 1999. This catalogue was thick and full of information, all documented by the curators and art historians, so I could trust the information. And they didn't just talk about the paintings. They really went in depth into the history of the family and just about everything they knew about Degas during that time in New Orleans, because the show was only about Degas' time in New Orleans. So it was just a gift to me. Were you a fan of Degas' art beforehand? <laughs> Doesn't everyone like Degas' art? <laughs> But is your background in art history at all? I always wished I had studied more extensively, but I took a lot of studio art courses in college, actually at Newcomb, which is Tulane University in New Orleans. And I took a few art history courses, but I didn't focus on them. But, you know, anyone that likes art learns themselves, and I did. Now, your novel also tells the story of Anne, who's a woman in 1970, returning to a house she's inherited from her mother's estranged side of the family, also in New Orleans. Why did you decide to frame Degas' story within this more recent, I assume, fictional story? Well, it was probably a fictional device I used to shed light on Degas' life through another lens, really. Also, I thought, making it 100 years later, it would be interesting to be able to compare the lives of women during those two periods because really the other protagonist is Estelle, who was his sister-in-law and cousin. So he was there in New Orleans when he visited. So Anne's story was a way of intertwining the two time periods, really, 
And I thought it would be more interesting that way than just telling the straight story of Degas, because there really actually wasn't all that much to say about Degas' visit. We don't really know that much. And I didn't want to invent too much. And I didn't want to, just for the sake of drama, introduce anything that really wasn't appropriate for the painter. When you're plotting a novel like this, where you have two very different time frames, what's your method? Do you write one whole story first and then the other? Or did you find yourself alternating the chapters as it is in the book? You know, the book has gone through so many revisions. It's, I actually can't always remember, but I know that I had to balance the two stories. So sometimes if I was on a roll with one time period, I would write a lot. And then I would find when I came to the next time period, people had probably forgotten what went on. So I had to shorten the longer passage and introduce, intersplice the other time in there. But I did write really the two stories simultaneously, and then I interwove them. Now, you said you studied art, you're a painter yourself, and this is your first novel. What prompted you to write it? Well, it was just, as I said, really, the discovery in that travel guide that Degas had lived in New Orleans. And, you know, I had gone to college there, so I was there in the 1970s, and I, had, I never knew about Degas' visit. It actually isn't widely known, and that just surprised me so much that I wanted to research it, and I learned more about it and thought the story was worth telling. As a painter yourself, does that help you to try and get inside the head of a painter like Degas? Not really. I don't think I ever got inside Degas' head. I didn't try to. And actually, in the book, I'm never in his point of view, if you notice. Are there any other artists' lives or episodes from lives of artists that inspire you or interest you and maybe even are prompting you to think about a second or further novel? Yes, I've already started a new novel. On, uh, it's a historical novel actually set in England during the Second World War. And it's about ordinary people's lives during that time, waiting for the invasion, you know. But there's actually an artist, a woman artist, who's not really well known much anymore, I don't think. And I might introduce that artist into the story and then have another go at historical fiction with an artist. You mentioned that the book went through many rewrites and I guess a editing process as well. When you go back and read what you've written, do you recognize it? Do you find yourself being very critical of what you've done? How do you feel about your work once it's been published? You know, I don't know, but I think probably every artist or writer feels they should have done better. And I feel that way. I feel that I should have done better. But you know, there's a point at which you simply have to let it go. So that's it. Linda, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. Historical Fiction
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.